listening to the Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Tonight, we are wrapping up a series that we've been doing the last few weeks called This Is The Way. Um, if you haven't been here the last couple weeks, no worries. Uh, I'll kind of recap a little bit what we've been talking about so you don't feel uh, out of the loop or out of place tonight. If you have been here, uh, I hope that this has been a great series for you and you've been challenged to maybe make some uh, decisions in what it looks like in your relationship with Jesus or maybe uh, have kind of learned some new things about what Jesus actually calls us to do as followers of him. Um, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with the TV show uh, Undercover Boss. Did you guys ever watch that show on NPC? Uh, Undercover Boss was essentially, if you haven't seen it, a TV show. I don't, I don't think it's still on TV today. You probably find reruns on Peacock or something. But uh, it's a TV show where they would basically take these high-level executives, these presidents, CEOs, owners, founders of these you know, big, fancy companies, and they would give them jobs on the front line. Uh, the very first episode actually features this guy, uh, a guy named Larry O'Donnell. Uh, Larry O'Donnell is, he was, he's retired now. He was the president and CEO of uh, Waste Management. Uh, If you're familiar with that, it's a trash company. Uh, They pick up trash. And so Larry uh, was actually the the guy on the very first episode. And so as the president and CEO of a trash company, they threw him on the back of a trash truck. And he actually drove house to house, picking up people's trash and uh, putting it in the back of the truck so that he could begin to experience and understand what it was like to be one of the people that he basically uh, employed. And so uh, the show is really cool. If, you, if you've never seen it, it's, it's a cool concept. That usually the owners and founders learn a ton about the job. But what's really cool about Larry is actually, you know, a lot of people know that, he, you know, the, the story or maybe I've seen him on the show. But what a lot of people don't know is that the reason that he was episode one of the show, the very first episode of the first season, is because he was doing this before the show existed. In fact, the creators of the show got the idea for the show because of Larry. He would literally go undercover, you know, give people a fake name, wear a ball cap, grow his beard out so he looked kind of like, you know, a little scraggly so that he didn't, wasn't recognizable to his employees. And he would just show up as the new guy and he would basically play dumb, walk me through what we're doing today, teach me how to do things. And it would like kind of give him a lot of insight on how his company ran. And so they actually crafted the show based on a thing that he was already doing. And what a lot of people don't know about Larry is in an interview and in some things he's written since then, uh, he said, yeah, a lot of people want to talk to me about being on Undercover Boss and that was such a cool show and we loved your episode and all this uh, kind of stuff. But he says, one of the things people don't understand and don't realize is he said, I, you know, I was doing this before the show and the reason that I did it, and he said, the place that I got the idea was actually from Jesus. He said that, that because of the way Jesus came and led and did life, he essentially, being the son of God, came down to earth and decided, hey, I want to experience what it's like to be human. And he said, oh, that's a great concept. And Jesus being the greatest leader who ever lived, he's like, I think I have a lot to learn in that. And so he's like, what did that look like for me and leading my company? So actually, it's really cool. The, the, the show Undercover Boss got the idea from Larry O'Donnell, who got the idea from Jesus, because Jesus was the ultimate and first real undercover boss. Uh, And so if you haven't been here the last few weeks, uh, we've been following and tracking this idea of what it means to be a follower of of our boss and it comes to Christianity, and that's Jesus. Uh, In week one, we talked about this idea is that you can be convinced that Jesus is who he said he is, or he is uh, the savior of the world, but not necessarily committed to living your life following him. And we talked about how in the early days, uh, Christians weren't called Christians, they were called followers of the way. 
which is uh, essentially uh, another name for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus basically not only came to uh, teach us how to do life, but really to kind of give us a, a whole way of life that's completely different from anything that we'd ever seen before in life. And so what we've been doing is each week kind of unpacking and looking at a few of the ways that Jesus invited us to a whole new way of doing life. So if you were here for week one, uh, week one we kicked off with talking about a path that Jesus kind of sent us on of, you know, not taking the, the wide road or the wide gate, but instead following the narrow road, the narrow gate of what it means to follow Jesus and living a life that is countercultural, counterproductive, and counterintuitive to most people in the world. If you're here last week, our good friend Jake uh, crushed the talk. He came and talked about the price that you have to pay to be a follower of Jesus, that we are to deny ourselves, to live sacrificially, and ultimately uh, take up our cross and follow Jesus and what that means. And Jake, you did a great job last week. And this week we're going to kind of land with the last one. Uh, and it's this idea of a posture. What, what is the posture of a Jesus follower looks like? And the, the, the text that we're going to have tonight is a text that maybe some of you are super familiar with. Maybe for some of you, uh, you're not familiar and it, it has the potential to be quite weird for you. And if that's you, that's okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, you, if you have questions at the end, I, I'm happy to try to answer those. Uh, but the idea of tonight is we're going to look at the posture that Jesus has, not only as a leader, but as uh, somebody who uh, tells us to live our lives in a very similar way. Because Jesus, much like Larry O'Donnell, didn't just want to see how we live. He wanted to come and experience it and to show us how to do things the right way. So tonight, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in John chapter 13 is where our text will be tonight. John chapter 13 is uh, where we'll be camping out. I'll, I'll jump to a couple other places, but uh, if you don't wanna flip and play sword drill with me, uh, I'll throw the, everything on the screen so you guys can uh, follow along. But John chapter 13, we're gonna start in verse one. To set the scene, Jesus is uh, kind of coming to the end of his ministry. He's preparing to go to the cross and he and his disciples make a, uh, uh, their way to Jerusalem and they gather for the Passover meal and what becomes widely known for followers of the way to be what we call the last supper of Jesus and his disciples. Uh, and so as he gathers them all together, we're gonna look at a count that's exclusive to John's gospel. There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John uh, was one of Jesus's followers. And this is, he's the only one that gives this account of what happens at the last supper, which is, I think is really interesting and, and will come back to be important in a minute. So if you're there, John chapter 13, I'll start in verse one. Here's what it says. Uh, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So we're gonna kind of look at this a little uh, verse by verse tonight. So here in verse one, it says, Jesus knew that his hour was, was, had, had come for him to leave this world. He knew what was coming. He knew what the next few hours and days looked like for him. He understood that he was about to be arrested and tried and put to death. And, and if you follow the story of Jesus for any amount of time in your life, you know that uh, for a lot of his disciples, this was a complete surprise, which he really told them that it was gonna happen. They just didn't understand or believe him. But for Jesus, he kind of knew what was coming and he knew what was happening. So this is one of the last nights, one of the last opportunities he had to kind of like, hey, here's my farewell address to my disciples. Here's the things that I want you to know uh, after I you know, go and do what I came here to do. And I think it's really important because John takes a moment to, in the midst of that, like, hey, Jesus knows what's coming. He knows the hour that is at hand. He knows he's about to have to leave this world. And he says that Jesus, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. That's gonna be very important for what we look at in the story. So don't let that slip your mind, okay? Just remember that Jesus loved them from the beginning and he loves them all the way till the end. In verse two, it goes on to say this. It says, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Again, this is something that's gonna come up again and especially is important in light of the last phrase that says that having loved them, Jesus loved them to the end. And that includes Judas. More on that in a minute. Verse three says, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And right here, let me just pause real quick and say that uh, Jesus was like, 
you know, he knew that what was coming, he knew what he was, had come to do. And he decided that, hey, in my last moments, I want to show them that like, this is what I want you to understand and know. And it's really important that he highlights that he knows where his power comes from because in the midst of the meal, and, and John doesn't talk about it, I'm gonna jump to Luke in a second, but in the midst of the meal, the disciples, most of whom are late teen, early 20 year old guys, most people would, would, ex, would uh, expect to be the, the phrase of life they're in. And like uh, uh, most of the time, if you get a gathering of guys who are in their late teens, early 20s, like some of you in this room are, uh, they decided to make things a competition. Uh, in fact, they began to have a pretty lively debate as, as guys will often do as to which one of them was going to be the greatest. Uh, Luke's account says it like this in Luke chapter 22. He says, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Which of Jesus's followers was the best? Who's, who's gonna be Jesus's number two? Jesus says to them, the king of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. We don't use the word benefactors very much, but it's basically like, hey, we're the, we're the king. We're the ones that make your life as good as it is. You're welcome, right? It's a very arrogant stance that they take. And Jesus says, hey, that's the way the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. It's the way like the Roman empire did it. You know, these guys would have been guys that think about the Roman empire pretty frequently, if you know what I'm saying. And so it would have been an opportunity for, you know, Jesus to be like, hey, hey, don't, don't be like that. I'm showing you, remember guys, I'm showing you a different path. I'm showing you a different way of life. And he says, don't be like that. In the next verse, he says this. He says, but you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. In verse 27, he wraps up this and says, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You know, Jesus is, is saying like, hey, he's very well aware that his time is coming to end and he has all this power. And yet as the disciples begin to argue and, and, and decide to you know, argue about who's the greatest, Jesus is like, guys, you still don't get it. Are you kidding me? After all of this, you still don't, it's not clear to you what, what I'm trying to teach you. It's like, you're not supposed to argue over which one of you is the greatest. You know, and Jesus doesn't say it, but he's like, who do you guys think that I am? Like, if you want to argue over who's the greatest, like, it's me, it's none of you. And yet... I don't act like I'm better than you guys. In fact, I'm the one who serves. And so to illustrate his point, we're gonna jump back to John because what Jesus does next blows the disciples' mind. What he begins to teach them and show them, he doesn't decide to tell them anymore. He doesn't wanna use his words. He's like, you know what? This is one of those lessons that I think people are gonna only understand if they see my actions. And if my actions are radical and crazy enough that it begins to grab their attention a little bit. So back to John chapter 13, picking up in verse four. Jesus says, or it says this. So he, Jesus got up from the table, or from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And in this, we see that Jesus, uh, there's six action words in this. There's six verbs, if you're in the English majors in the room. Uh, that's right, I passed English 101. There's six verbs in this, this text where it says, Jesus got up, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around him, poured water, washed disciples' feet, and dried them with a the towel. Like literally it gives us six action things that Jesus does and zero words. He does six action steps, zero quotes. Six things of like, you guys still don't get it. I'm gonna show you but he doesn't say a word. Which if you think about if you were there in the room that night had to be incredibly powerful for two reasons. Number one, he washed their feet. I don't know what you, you and your friends do on a Friday night. Uh, this isn't what me and my friends do on a Friday night. Uh, we don't decide to all take our uh, feet off and show each other our nasty, you know, crunchy toes. So, uh, but 
in that day and age, it wasn't crazy, right? It wasn't unusual because, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It was a very, you know, it's a, it's a deserty climate. There's a lot of dust. They walk around in sandals or barefoot most of the time. And so when you get to where you're going to go, a lot of times your feet are dirty. You're going to come in somebody's house and, you know, walk around and they're just like, ah, oh, we need to get the, the road filth and everything the, the, off of your feet. And so it wasn't unusual for people to wash your feet. But two things. Number one, you usually washed your own feet. Do you know Why? because nobody wants to touch your nasty toes, right? And so usually you wash your own feet. Secondly, if you were important, powerful, high enough in, in the social status to have someone do it for you, this was viewed as the lowest of low. You know, to, to liken it back to Larry O'Donnell, this was the president or CEO riding them on the back of the trash truck and throwing people's garbage into the truck, right? This was that level. In fact, that's probably not even fair enough. This is like, you know, the king, the king of kings, like scrubbing the toilet with his hand, kind of nasty. That's how the Jews would have, would have felt about this. They would have said like, oh my goodness, you're gonna wash our feet. That's the, that's the lowest servant. That's the servant who's in trouble. That's the servant who got, who, who's doing it all wrong and we're using it as punishment for him to do it. And yet Jesus gets up and does this to silence. And you know, the disciples have to be thinking it the whole time of like, this is weird. Jesus, why are you doing this? Why are you washing our feet and touching our toes? And I'm sorry, I didn't get a pedicure before this. And, and what, is, what is happening with, with Jesus? Why is he, what is he trying to show us with this? And I think that the reason John highlights so many of the actions of Jesus is partly because I think it was kind of awkward as it would be if you and your friends got together on Friday night and you just got up and was like, all right, Shoes off, let's do this, you know, let's get down. Like the way your friends would just be like almost speechless. I think Jesus's friends were a bit speechless and a bit shook that he was getting down and washing their feet. And he was making a point because if you remember what Luke said, Jesus is like, hey, it's pretty clear. You guys understand who I am and my hour is coming to an end. And yet I'm not gonna ask you to do anything for me. Instead, I'm gonna be the one who serves you, who gets down to the lowest posture and does what nobody else nobody else is desiring or willing to do. In fact, he's going around the circle and you can almost imagine him doing all the disciples and the guys just being, their minds are blown, they're being weirded out. And then he gets to Peter. And if you don't know much about Simon Peter, who's one of Jesus' 12 disciples, he's a bit of a wild card. He's the friend in the friend group that you're all like, yeah, like we never know what's gonna come out of his mouth or what he's gonna say and do. But you know, if they would have had cell phones back then, they all would have had it on Peter. Because like, this is gonna be good. Like he's definitely gonna get in trouble right now. Like it would have been a moment where we're not sure what's gonna happen next, but I know Peter's gonna say what we're all thinking. And sure enough, verse six, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? English is, is a kind of a complicated language and it doesn't fully capture the way Peter said this. If you read it in the original languages of the Greek, the, the way that they use the words you and my, those, those pronouns there, the way he uses them, there's emphasis. So it's literally like, he says, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Remember, it's been silence for probably several minutes as he does the first couple of guys who are being respectful and reverent. And then Peter gets, he's like, I'm sorry, I have to say something. I'm going to be that guy. You know, he's the guy that would like, you know, have the, the weird interactions in the restaurant that everybody else is like, oh my gosh, can you just eat the plate? I'm sorry, they messed your food up. Like Peter is the guy that, that in that moment is like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm just going to be after the one to say that. What are you doing? Why are you going to wash my feet? I can't, do you understand how beneath you this is? Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus, are you crazy? Like, I know you're like, God's son and the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Messiah, the Savior we've been promised, but have you lost your mind? Like that's what Peter is, is, is kind of saying. It's almost a, an irreverent way that he asked this question of like, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? Right? Verse seven says this. 
So Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And Jesus, of course, in, in the way that only Jesus can handle Peter, he's like, hey man, I know you don't understand now, but later you'll understand. Or, or another way you could say it is like Jesus w- was telling Peter, hey, one day you're gonna get it. You may not get it right now, Peter, but just trust me. Like one day this is gonna click for you and you, you're gonna get it. It'll, you'll understand later. And so in verse eight, Peter, not backing down, says, no, you shall never wash my feet. He like puts his foot down, pun intended, to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, you know, it's like, you're not gonna do this. I, I, I'm not gonna let you wash my feet. This is beneath you. And I'm, I'm a little ashamed that you would even ask. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Pretty strong statement. And Jesus is like, hey, if you don't let me do this right now, Peter, you can leave. You could probably feel the tension in the room cut with a knife. I mean, it is like awkward in that moment of like, hey, you either do this and you're with us or there's the door, right? And so obviously Peter, he, he might think before he speaks, but he's not a fool. And so he comes back in verse nine and he says, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's like, oh, I mean, if that's what's on the line, Jesus, if you're talking about, I gotta get out of the group, like, all right, let's do this. You know, he's also like stripping down and like, Jesus, my whole body, like, like let's, let's do it from head to toe. And of course, in that moment, it probably is like a nice moment for everybody in the room. It's kind of like a, okay, like it's Peter being Peter. We can all kind of laugh about this and it probably cuts some of the tension that everybody in the room feels. And it is probably a little bit of a, a breathing room, like awkward laughter, like, okay, and he's being ridiculous. And so, but I, I'm sure everyone's attention kind of turns to Jesus and be like, wait, we don't really have to do that, right? Like, that's not what's about to happen. We're not all about to have like a, a you know, an awkward European group bath, are we? So here's what he says in verse 10. Here's what happens in verse 10. Jesus answers, thankfully, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, right? If your body's clean, but you go outside and you walk around this dusty ground, you just have to wash your feet. You don't have to start this whole process over. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Back to a reference, back to verse two. He says, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Jesus went around and washed everybody's feet. And he said, hey, you guys are my followers. You guys believe in me. You guys are the ones who are committed to the way. You guys are the ones who are gonna carry the mantle after I'm gone. Like you guys are clean. This is just a symbol that I want to show you something. And he's like, hey, and not even all of you are clean. But it doesn't say that he dives to anybody's feet. He's kind of making a, you know, it probably was an awkward eye contact with Judas. Like, hey, I know what you did. I don't know if your mom ever gave you one of those looks, right? You ever like did something and you're in trouble and you know you're caught and your mom doesn't say a word. She's just like, right? And she gives you that look like, I know what you did. And it's almost one of those things of like, if I was Judas, you know, your like heart sinks into your stomach and it's just like, oof, right? Like, like he, he literally says, not every one of you. And every one of them is probably panicking and freaking out. And one of the other accounts that like, they're all beginning to panic. It's like, is he me? Is he talking about me? Like, who, who's he talking about? Jesus doesn't elaborate in this account, but it goes on in verse 12 to say this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. And now he begins to teach. And he says, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. He's like, do you guys understand what I'm trying to show? Do you understand what this illustration looks like? Right, Jesus is a master teacher. Have you ever been sat under an incredible teaching? Uh, you know that teachers use illustrations, they use word pictures, they use stories to kind of paint a picture. But Jesus is like taking it to the highest level. And he's like, hey, I don't wanna just tell you a story, another parable, another illustration that you guys have heard for countless times over the last three years. He says, I want to show you something. And he gets done and he sits down. And he's like, all right, it's time for the test. Do you guys understand? Do you get what I'm trying to show you? Do you get what I'm trying to teach you? Do you understand what I've done for you here? So we'll see how they look, how they do in verse 13. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Right? Jesus is kind of playing to, to the whole idea of this series we've been in with This is the Way, is that oftentimes people like Jesus as their Savior. Right? We all want Jesus to be our Savior, to forgive us of our sins, to get us into heaven. We like Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, our Savior. But Jesus says, like, hey, you also call me your teacher. And if, if, you're gonna, if I'm going to be your rabbi, you're going to be my apprentice. If you're, if you're going to follow in the way, if you're going to follow in my footsteps, if you're going to get dusty, you know, walking behind me and, and following so closely that the dust of my sandals kicks up on you. If we're going to do it this way, you have to do the things that I do. And the illustration that Jesus is giving them is not just like a, ah, to be a Christian, you're going to have to be super into feet stuff. Like that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. What he's trying to illustrate is like, hey, what you have to be willing to do is to take yourself down a notch. What you have to be willing to do is to like view yourself through the lens of humility. What you're gonna have to be able to do is to like think about others and their needs before you think about your own. And so he begins to tell them, he's like, hey, like now that I'm your Lord have done and teacher have done this, like you guys as my apprentices, you guys as my disciples, you guys as my followers are going to one day have to follow suit. And so in, in verse 15, Jesus, you know, kind of lands the plane and he says this, he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Another word for the, the, the Greek word that Jesus used for example he's, is, is pattern. And he's like, hey, I've set a pattern of life for you to follow, right? At the beginning, we talked about Jesus' power. Like he's, he's getting ready to go to the cross to, to die for the sins of the entire world. And, and, and yet, the pattern of life that he shows them here, the, the example that he tells them to follow is one of like humility and lowliness. And, and, and really what he's trying to show them is the posture that he wants his followers to take. What he wants them to do is to have a posture that is uh, uh, others focused and others first. And he does that by doing it the most, you know, out there, the most crazy, the most off the wall way that he could. And he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes his friends, his disciples his followers, his apprentices. He washes their nasty, dirty, dusty, grimy, no modern medicine, having toenail clippers, aren't invented yet, feet, right? And he sets an example for them of like, this is what it looks like to put others first, that you're willing to do the lowest. If I, being your Lord and teacher, am willing to do this, what's your excuse to not serve others? If I, being your Lord, will do the lowest job, there's nothing that should be beneath you. And if I be your teacher, am showing you the way, this should be an example to you that you should serve other people's needs no matter how gross, no matter how lowly, no matter how dirty, no matter how uh, demeaning it is for you. That's how passionate you should be about putting other people ahead of yourself. The next verse in verse 16 says, Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So Jesus says, hey, if you're gonna follow me, if I'm gonna be your Lord and your teacher, you're gonna have to copy me. You're gonna have to have the same lowly posture that I have, the same uh, ability to like put other people ahead of yourself. You're going to have to view yourself in a, a way that is, is actually an opportunity for other people to see me through the way they interact with you. And so the, the, the lesson that Jesus is giving them to be summarized is like, hey, I want to teach you what it looks like to have a lowly posture. I want to show you what it looks like to literally put other people's needs ahead of yourself so that you put yourself as the lowest person on the totem pole. And you remember the argument they were having? They weren't arguing over which one of them was the best servant 
They were arguing which one of them was the greatest. Hey, which one of us is going to be Jesus' number two? Who's going to be the, you know, the, the vice president when Jesus comes into power? Which one of us is going to have the most power? I mean, besides Jesus, of course. And Jesus is like, you guys are not getting it. That's not it. That's not the way. Jesus says, what I want you to have is a lowly posture of like, hey, what needs to be done? What's the worst job? What's the thing that nobody else wants to do? Let me have that one. Let me take the, the lowest position. I'll do that. That should be the competition among Jesus's followers. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus tells us the, the only time in all of scripture, Jesus gives us a glimpse into his own heart. There's only one, one verse in all of scripture where Jesus tells you what his heart looks like. And he says this, he says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. My heart is gentle and my posture is, is low. The, another way that you could translate that word lowly is humble, but it doesn't sound good to say I'm gentle and humbly in heart. So Jesus says that I'm gentle and, and lowly. And it's a position of like, hey, it's not that I think I'm not worthy of doing this. It's that I think that you are worthy. Jesus said, I don't think that it's, it's, I don't think less of myself. I think so highly of you. And what he's teaching his followers is like, hey, that's what I want you guys to do. That's what I want you guys to replic replicate. That's the pattern of life that I want other people to experience because they know you. And he says, to conclude our, our passage in John chapter 13, he says uh, in verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them, right? You will be blessed if you do them. Not you'll be blessed if you learn them. Not you'll be blessed if you memorize this story. Not you'll be blessed if you uh, understand my point here. Jesus says, you'll be blessed if you actually put this into practice. Putting other people's needs ahead of your own. You know, put, considering yourself to, you know, to, to be the, the low, low person on the totem pole, to be the, the person who takes the lowly posture, to do, does the dirty jobs, does the thing that nobody else wants to do. Jesus says, if that's you, blessed your life will be. That's the path of what a great life looks like. That's the way that the followers of the way should be doing. What Jesus is telling us is like, hey, if you want to be a follower of me, one of the things that is most important that you do is I want you to be able to live low. And that's not like, you know, one of those ideas of, you know, the, the, the famous quote around humility is humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's, it's, it's thinking of yourself less, right? I think C.S. Lewis is the one that said that. And that's what the idea of Jesus is, is trying to get across is that it's not that I, I want you to think of yourself as like unworthy or, or uh, you know, not special or any of those kind of things. Jesus says, I want you to think other people are so worthy and so special that you're willing to do whatever it takes to show them how important they are. Because... Because if you can do that, it's going to mess with them a little bit. Just like it messed with Jesus' disciples a little bit that he washed their feet, right? It's going to like, they're not going to be able to compute or understand why you're doing this. Why are you treating this way? Why are you, are you putting me ahead of yourself? It, it almost breaks their brain. Uh, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he has this uh, famous thing that we call the golden rule. Now, you guys know the golden rule, right? Treat others how you want to be treated. But later in John chapter 13, Jesus kind of one-ups himself. And he says, actually, you know, sometimes that's not good enough. Don't just treat people how you want to be treated. He says, treat them how I would treat them. He says in, in John 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He wants us to love them as Jesus has loved us. And the way Jesus loved us is he lived low. He put our needs ahead of his own. He put our you know, uh, problems ahead of his own. He put the people that he was closest to and the people that he met every day in life, the people that he'd never met before, the people who came to him who were hurting and in pain, the people who came to him who were sick and ailing, the people who were outcast and far from God, the people in the world that were you know, rejected and looked past and looked over, Jesus made them his highest priority. 
And the reason that he did that is he was trying to illustrate what his followers would do as well. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my life, it's really easy for me to focus on the important people and the important things in my life. And it's really easy to look through people and look past people. And I think what Jesus is trying to illustrate for us and what he's trying to teach us is if you want to look like Jesus, you have to live low. And according to John chapter 13, 34 and 35, you also have to live out love. You have to live love every single day in your daily life. Do you know how hard it was not to put laugh in the middle of that? It was really, really difficult, but I I fought the urge. Just thought I'd make the joke with my mouth instead. So like uh, Jesus wants us to live low and he wants us to live out love. He wants us to live a, a life of humility. He wants us to live a life of love, a life of putting other people ahead of ourselves. A few years back uh, when I was uh, probably the same age as, as some of you in the room, I was, uh, I think, 19 or maybe 20 years old. The church that I grew up in, uh, I would go back home to during the summer. It was different than the church that I went to when I was in college, which was, you know, kind of weird. I kind of felt like I was out of place in two places. Uh, but, you know, the church that I, would, that I called my home church growing up, uh, every year would do this uh, mission trip and, and every year it would go to different places, but they would do a lot of like, really hard work and labor. And so uh, when I was home for the summer, I was like, man, I'm working this job, making minimum wage, and it's terrible and boring. At least I'll go to the church camp thing. And, you know, those were, those were a good idea, fun. And they're like, we're not doing a camp thing this year. I was like, oh, well, how can I help? And they were like, oh, we're going on this mission trip. You could come as one of the leaders. I was like, awesome. Is it like, you know, high schoolers or something? They're like, no, nah, it's middle schoolers. And I was like, right. Uh, yeah, I love spending time, you know, making sure 13-year-olds don't, you know, get injured or sick or, you know, do stupid things. Like, are we doing something fun and safe? And they're like, we're going to put a roof on a house. And I was like, ah, oh, middle schoolers are going to be swinging sharp objects. That sounds like an awesome idea. You know, I can't, can't wait, you know. Uh, so I, 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 you know, against my better judgment, I signed up and went. And uh, this is the part of the story where I feel like it's really easy for speakers to come up and they kind of make it sound better than it was. It was awful. Uh, the whole week was terrible. Um, I had a bunch of middle schoolers and we were trying to roof a house. Uh, I watched the guys across the street from, you know, the guy lives across the street from me, just got a new roof on his house. And the guys who do this professionally did it in one day, old roof gone, new roof on. They packed up their truck and left. It took us all week and we only got half done. So it was one of those things where uh, things didn't go smoothly, right? And I was one of the college leaders. So I was supposed to be like encouraging them like, okay, you know, let's, let's, let's learn how to do this, guys. Like, this is how you put a roof on, you know? And they're just all like, oh, what if I hit my friend with it, right? And it was one of these opportunities that I was like, oh, I really, you know, every day I got to the edge of that roof and I was like, I wonder if I just, you know, right? It was one of those moments where I just, you know, I'm joking, but it was one of those things of like, what am I doing here? Like, this is, why did I say yes to this? So I get to the end of the week. I get to the end of the week and uh, we'd been working hard all week. And, you know, it's, I mean, it was, we were in Knoxville, Tennessee, just outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. And it's like June or July. So it is like, 99 degrees past awful at outside and we're up on a roof. So there's no shade. We're just like in the sun and the, the roof is black and it's just reflecting the sun back onto us. And we're just like, just melting every day on this roof with middle schoolers. And so it was uh, really just a great experience. If you ever want to do ministry, come talk to me. Uh, but it was one of those things where at the end of the week, I got, I, you know, we got halfway done with it. And they're like, don't worry, the next group will come finish it. Or I was like, oh, that makes me feel better. And so we got to the end of the week and the people who we were working with that lived in that community, right? The people who kind of put on the trip, they're the people who found the house and got us connected and bought the materials and did a lot of the hard work. Um, that night they had like a big fun thing for the students to go do. And they, they, they took some people from their church to like, I think they took them to like one of those places where you like play putt-putt and drive go-karts and all that kind of stuff. And they gave all of us, the leaders, kind of the, the night off, if you will, right? And boy, did we need it. And so they gather us together and I'll never forget, they bring out, 
uh, you know, they're like, we're going to do dinner for you guys. Don't eat the pizza. We have a special dinner for you guys. And they bring out and they have cooked us like steaks and they're like, you know, this big around. I'm like, you guys killed a lot of cows to do this. And, uh, you know, they bring out these like, you know, it's like a five course meal and there's like appetizers and salads and, and all this stuff. And it's like, hey, all week you guys have served. And so tonight we want to treat you like royalty. And so they feed us well and they do all this kind of stuff. And uh, at the end of the night, they, they take us to this other room. And I mean, I mean, it's been like one thing after another today. I mean, I, it's been a good 24, 25, 26 hours since I've showered. And they, they come in this room and we, and we go and we sit in this circle and uh, they have us sit down and they, they sure enough, they come out and they're like, you guys have served us so well and served our community so well. And we want to serve you tonight. I want to feed you really well. And we want to just, you know, treat you guys like the heroes that you are for being here. So we lead in this crazy middle school team. Nobody got that injured or, 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 you know, died on the roof. So like, we want to make this special for you. And I'll never forget, they get down. And this is the people who are running this. They do this like week in and week out all summer. They get down and they have us sit in the chairs and they have us take off our shoes. And I'm like, brother, let me tell you, you do not want what's going on in these boots, right? Like you, you want none of this problem right now. And they're like, no, we, we want you to. And they come through and it's one of those moments. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced something like this, but they come through and they, they wash our feet. But not only do they do that, the two or three people that are leading us, they wash our feet. They also just like pray over us and they come and they like, they put their hands on us and they pray over us. And it was one of those things I was like, this is one of those weird experiences people have in church that they're like, oh man, this is gonna be on the internet later, right? Like, like this was, that was kind of like one of my moments like that. And I wish I could tell you that it was weird, but actually, you know, if you could get past all the strangers touching you, like the, the, the part of it that was fantastic was I felt like I was, like I had done the Lord's work that week. I felt like that God had used me in an incredible way. And these people were eternally grateful. And I'll never forget that they, they read this scripture and they talk about Jesus washing the disciples' feet and they use this verse. They're like, hey, we believe that when Jesus says, we're, you're blessed if you do this. Like we actually want to thank you for coming and serving with us. Thank you for giving up your time. Thank you for chasing middle schoolers away from the edge of the roof. Thank you for doing all this crazy stuff you've done all the week. And they, they wash our feet, they pray over us. And it was one of those nights that I felt like made a huge huge difference on my life. So to kind of wrap up tonight, what I would like us to do is in a minute, we're going to walk out into the halls and I have 25 stations set up. I'm just kidding. Oh man, I got some of you so good. Oh man, you guys thought I was going to wash your feet. No, no, no way. That's not doing that. Uh, it was cool to experience and maybe you'll have that one day, but not tonight, right? Uh, one of the things that I took away from that was uh, in that moment, and they're praying over us, they're washing our feet. Uh, those people had been our bosses for the week. They had been telling us what to do and where stuff was and how things go. And there was one guy specifically that was an older gentleman. He was kind of semi-retired. And this is what he did for a living. He was like a, a contractor, you know, he did construction for a living. And I know it had to be frustrating to him coaching a bunch of people who didn't know how to roof a house, how to roof a house. And, and I'll never forget the prayer that he prayed over me when he got there. And he was like, thank you so much for, you know, this young man and, and the, the way he's been willing to, to love these students. And thank you for all of his hard work, God. I pray that you'll use it to, to bless his life. And I was just like thinking, I was like, do you understand? Like, I didn't do anything. Mostly all I did was like pull, you know, Johnny and Tommy off of the edge. Like I didn't do a whole lot. But I'd never forget the, the, the lesson that I walked away from that night going like, oh man, this is what it looks like for people to make you feel like, you made a huge impact. This is what it feels like when people place you as a priority. We came there to serve that week. And I walked away feeling like I was the one who had been served. And maybe some of you guys have experienced something like that. And I walked, I walked away from that week thinking, this is what Jesus had in mind when he was telling us that there's a different way, that there's a different way of doing life that looks backwards to the world, 
In fact, if you guys want to sign up to roof houses with middle schoolers all summer, like your friends are going to be like, are you sure? Like, is that really what you want to do? Uh, but it, it looks backwards to the world, but Jesus's path looks different. The price that Jesus asks us to pay is heavier than, the, than what the world tells us. And the posture that Jesus asks us to have is one of lowliness. And so we kicked off this series talking about we wanted this idea of, of getting dusty, right? Like if you were here week one, we talked about that the, the apprentices would follow their rabbi so closely that the dust of his sandals would get all over them. And what it looks like for us to, to follow Jesus closely enough is exactly what it looks like in, in the, the illustration that Jesus gives us in the washing of the feet. He says, I want you to have daily, I want you to surrender our li- your life to him. Surrender whatever it is in your life that's getting in the way of you being close to God and experiencing the fullness of what Jesus has for you. It's exactly what Jake talked about with us last week where he asked us, you know, Jesus asked us to live sacrificially, to give up the things in our life that are keeping us from being close to God, to, to surrender the things in our life that, are, that need to go on the cross and need to no longer be part of our lives because they're the things that are keeping us from living the life that Jesus wants us to live. And in the lesson tonight, we see that Jesus wants us to live lowly, to be humble, to put others' needs ahead of our own and to love others the way that he would. See, uh, in the next chapter, in, in the same conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, he shares a verse that is probably one of the most famous verses in all of scripture. And, and if you've been in, around church or in church for a long time, you've, you've heard this and, and it's not anything new or, or life-changing, but in the context of what Jesus is saying, where he's like, hey, I want you to live sacrificially. I want you to surrender to me daily. I want you to live uh, the humility and love that I've asked you to live. Jesus says in John chapter 14, the next chapter in verse six, he says, Jesus answers to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus says, hey, the way that I'm asking you to live, right? The, the, the way of life that I've, that I've shown you, the, the whole way of doing life that is countercultural and counterproductive and counterintuitive to so many people. Jesus says, is the, is the way that life is intended to live. That when God created you, the good plans as we sang about earlier that God has for your life is a life of surrender, of sacrifice, of humility, and a life of love. The problem is, is that sin gets in our lives and gets in the way and tells us to make it all about us and to live your truth and not the truth. It tells you to, to make it all about you and not making it about others and their needs. It tells you to do what feels good or feels right and not to surrender and die to yourself and let those things go so you can experience the life that Jesus has for you. You see, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes through the Father except through me. And for many of you in this room, that's a verse you've heard before. It's a verse that for some of you in this room has probably changed your life. But for all of us in this room, it's also a challenge. You know, a way is something that connects two things and the way that Jesus is, is, is the way to connect us to our heavenly Father. And the truth is, is that he came and lived a perfect life that you and I could never live and died a death that he didn't deserve so that we could be connected back to our heavenly father and have a new and full and better life starting now that carries on into eternity. And so for many of you in this room, this is kind of a reminder. It's an opportunity for you to say, okay, you know, I've gotten in the way of of the life that God wants me to live. There's some things in my life that need to change. There's some, there's some things in my life that need to be tweaked or adjusted so that I can begin to live sacrificially or to surrender, to live out humility and focus on others, show people the love that I've experienced from, from God. But maybe for some of you in this room, this is really the first time that all of it's kind of clicked. Maybe you've heard this all before. You're familiar with Jesus's stories and you really don't want anybody to touch your feet tonight. But for the 
for the first time, maybe it all clicks of like, oh, that's what they're talking about when they talk about following Jesus. This is what it looks like. It looks like putting other people first, letting go of the things that get in the way and showing people the love that you've experienced.